Hello, this is David Bernstein, founder of the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values. I'm delighted to be here today with Ira Sheskin. Ira is somebody I've known for a long time, and he is a professor at the University of Miami and a Jewish demographer. He does a lot of the local Jewish population surveys. Um, and we're here to talk about the recent, and this is really just yesterday, Pew survey that came out about the American Jewish community, what it says. I'll also tell you that um, I was involved in a controversy about 14 months ago, you might remember it, um, over the number of Jews of color. And I'm gonna ask Cyrus some questions and see uh, what we've learned since the last uh, Pew survey on that and see what we've learned collectively about that episode over a year ago. But let's actually start, Ira. Good to see you. Um, let, Good to see you. <laughs> let's start with uh, what the Pew survey said more generally. What, what do you make of it? And how does it differ from the 2013 survey? Well, let's start with the second question, because that probably sets the stage for the first question. OK. Um, They've changed the methodology between 2013 and 2020. And that's because what happened is, is that people changed the methodology of answering their telephone, both their landline as well as their cell phone. And doing the typical random digit dial survey, which had been done in 2013, has become very, very difficult in 2020. People look at their caller ID. If they don't recognize the number, they're not picking up the phone. So they changed to a methodology called uh, ABS, address-based sampling, so that they get from the U.S. Post Office uh, their computerized directory system, which lists every single address in the United States. And they sent out tens and tens of thousands of letters uh, with a copy of a mail survey in it, but also a link to go to the internet and to complete the survey on the internet. And in total, they, they got completed a little over 6,000 um, surveys, uh, which is a very large sample size. But the important thing is, is that, you know, they were gotten in a way that is random. It's not like they went to mailing lists for Jewish organizations, or even call people with the last name Cohen, right? So they consequently did get as good a random sample as one can get today. Now, a, a problem with it is that um, it's a different methodology than 2013. Mm. And I, now, I heard a criticism that it might have undercounted Orthodox families. I haven't heard that criticism yet. Uh, I can believe that there are, after all, there are some Orthodox sects that, that don't use the internet. And consequently, that made it less likely that they would participate because they would have had to have done it by mail. Although last time around in 2013, one of the criticism was that it seemed like too many of the Orthodox were perhaps ultra-Orthodox. It seemed to a number of people that that, that was the case. But, you know, they came out with a percentage orthodox that's not very different from what they had in 2013 and not very different from what it was in, in, the, in the National Jewish Population Survey in 2000. Orthodox have always been about 10 percent. 
eight to ten percent of American Jews, and that's the range that they're that they're in now. Now, the having said that, they came up this time in terms of the number of Jews with about seven and a half million Jews. And last time they had 6.7 million. That does not mean that the number went up by 800,000. It means they changed the methodology. Mm. You know, when you're taking, uh, getting a what percentage of Americans are Jewish and you're multiplying it by 331 million Americans, even going from 2.2% to 2.4% of Americans, which is not a big hike, is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people when you're multiplying by over 300 million. Mm -hmm. So uh, they are correctly saying that they don't believe there's been any significant increase. In fact, the number of Jews by religion, Jews who are willing to say, yes, my religion is Jewish. There are also then Jews of no religion who when asked their religion, uh, said atheist, agnostic, nothing in particular, I don't know, and various other things. But when asked if other than religion, for any reason do you consider yourself Jewish, they said yes. That's the group that grew. And that's a, that's believable. The the second kind of overall thing was, was that the intermarriage rate remained about the same as it was in 2013. Now you wouldn't expect any major, major change. But the fact that it remained basically the same probably is going to surprise some people. And mm -hmm. almost all of the intermarriage today is happening where the person intermarrying considers themselves Jewish, but one of their parents were not Jewish. That's where That's most good. of the intermarriage, the vast majority of the, um, of the intermarriages. So I guess the increase in population, the uh, flattening of the intermarriage rate, as well as the fact that if you look at intermarried people um, over the age of 65, very, very few of them raise their children Jewish. If you look at intermarried people under the age of 30, about half of them are raising their children with some semblance of a Jewish identity. So when, you know, I'm 70 years old now, and I remember when I was a kid, it was felt that if someone intermarried, they were simply lost to the Jewish people uh, that's not order. That no longer applies today. Plenty of people can intermarry and still belong to the Jewish people. So uh, there were things that changed. Uh, percentage orthodox percentage Republican among the Orthodox went from fifty-seven percent to seventy-five percent. Right. I'm not surprised about that. Uh, but it's not all Israel issues, and a lot of people think, well, it's because. Trump took a, such a strong stand on Israel. I would argue, by the way, and this would take us off track given the topic today, I would argue that a lot of what Trump did for Israel is not going to be good in the long run, except for the peace agreements with the United Arab Emirates, et cetera, that will be. But some of the other steps I'm not sure were, were much good. Um, it's also because Orthodox Jews tend to be more conservative on issues like abortion and, and homosexuality. They tend to be more in favor of uh, government involvement in religion to the extent that they all send their kids to uh, Jewish private Jewish day schools, 
And funding for Jewish day schools is not going to come out of the Democratic Party. If it ever comes, it'll come out of the Republican Party. So that was kind of something, you know, it, this, the report came out yesterday, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not going to say those are my most important highlights because I haven't had a chance to start studying it yet. But those are certainly uh, right up there in terms of things that I was quite interested in. Right. Okay. So in March 2020, you and your partner Arnold Dushevsky, right, right, wrote a piece on how many Jews of color are there in the Jewish philanthropy. Um, I'm sure you didn't expect it, but it caused a firestorm. Yes. Um, <laughs> there was a petition that was signed by what, 2,500 people? That, something along those lines. Something along those lines. Um, there, um, there were something like 90 comments, and I think they eventually shut down the comments. Um, and you, the whole time, actually engaged with people in the comment section, right? You were going back and forth. Yes. So before we go into the sort of nitty gritty of that, what was that like for you during that time? I hope I never go through a period like that in my life again. I mean, there are worse things. There are sicknesses and all those types of things. But uh, first, it was not pleasant to have to basically take down a colleague. Okay? That was not, that was not mm. pleasant. Um, getting uh, called a racist by the head of the reform movement, I think, reflects on him much more than it does on, on us. Okay. He called, he, he accused you of, correct me if I'm wrong, of white intellectualism. Yes, right. Yes, he did. And, and racism, too. The word racist was, was, it was in that, uh, that article as well. Um, I, would, I would say, by the way, uh, and I saved them all, <laughs> that we received emails of praise for what we did from probably over a hundred academics, Federation people. Some of them said, go ahead and use my name. Some of them did not. And I didn't want to get involved with, with uh, getting someone in trouble because they said something and I didn't remember who, who, who gave me permission, who didn't. But look, what, what you had happen here is the Pew survey that came out in 2013 uh, indicated that Jews of color were about 6% of the Jewish community. Now, they never used the phrase Jews of color. They said 2% Black, 2% Hispanic, 2% Asian. That totals 6%. And that includes Mizrahi Jews or Sephardic Jews, right? Well, no, it doesn't. But then again, I would argue that they're not Jews of color. And in fact, uh, Michal Baton, who's a Jew from, uh, you know, she is Syria. from uh, Iran. She, she said in an article recently, if you went into the Persian community in Los Angeles and told them with Jews of color, they would look at you funny. So and, is, and, is that the reason why there's a discrepancy between your numbers and the study that you criticized? Was it over the... Absolutely not. And that is a really important point, David. And thank you for asking that question. Okay. Um, here's why. Okay. First, 
I would not only argue that, I mean, I don't know of anybody who thinks of Sephardic Jews when they think about of Jews of color. If you want to call them diverse Jews, if you add in the Sephardic Jews to the Jews of color and you want to call that diverse Jews, that's one thing. But that's not what I did. And it's not what Professor Kelman did in coming up with at least 12 to 15 percent. So here's what here's what happened. Pew comes out in 2013 with the with the six percent. Apparently, and you know, I haven't read the minds of the people that use a color field building initiative, but if you've got the gold standard in survey research organization, the Pew Research folks in 2013 come out with six percent, why would you spend money trying to find another number? But that's what they did. Now, why? I can only guess that they didn't like the 6% number. Right. So the latest survey came out with about 8%, and it also showed an increase in the number of Jews of color among young people, a percentage of young Jews. Right. And the 8% is, you know, what about what we would expect, given the 6% seven years ago. And by the way, there's some rounding error in both of those numbers. So it's really an increase of more like one and a half percent, which, by the way, is within the margin of error, even though an increase is what we would expect. Yeah. Among younger Jewish households, those under 30, may, um, a higher percentage of Jews of color than among the other age groups. And that doesn't surprise us, us either. But, David, let me get back to the question, because it's not who added Sephardic Jews. Like, we didn't include Sephardic and he did. Because what he did was he looked at the American Jewish Population Project, which is done out of uh, Brandeis' Steinhardt Research Institute. And he saw that 89% said they're white. So he assumed that the other 11% are Jews of color. Far from it. Including that other 11% were people who just don't think it's right to ask race on a questionnaire. Included there would, would have been my wife, who, although she's as white as, as, as I am, doesn't believe that Jews should be considered white people. So she always answers the race question as other. So, in fact, the, the um, people who did the Brandeis survey agree with me that their survey does not say 11%. In fact, it really says probably the best thing from their survey would be to say it says 7%. In other words, just about equal to what the Pew survey was. Then the 11% there, uh, Professor Kelman looked at New York and San Francisco and said, wow, look at how high those are. I'm going to make the 11% into 12 to 15%. Now, that, that's a silly way of doing things. It would be like looking at gay people who Gallup says a 5%. And then saying, but in the city of San Francisco, it's 15%. So I'm going to raise it to 7%. You can't do that. That's not good science. Mm. The 15% in the city of San Francisco is included in the 5% nationwide. Right. So no, he did not include Sephardic. And we know he didn't because the surveys, the data that Brandeis uses to come up with their estimates of things don't ask the Sephardic Mizrahi Ashkenazi question even. So no, he was saying that Blacks, Asians, and Hispanics are at least 12 to 15 percent, 
and we were saying it was 6%, and then we get accused of saying that, that uh, uh, we are reducing people to numbers. Well, my answer to that was, if the numbers aren't important, why did the Jews of Color Field Fizzling Initiative commission a study to come up with a number? They commissioned it because look, it's, it's called demography. Hands. We study numbers because right. we want to know where people are, how many there are, so that we can figure out how to serve them and how to strategic plan around them. That's just what social science research in this area does. And and I thought that was a very strange charge against you. So another, I yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say another another thing in that category that was was strange. The petition says. Uh, Sheskin and Dushesky treated people like statistics. Now, we wrote an 1,100-word article when E-Jewish philanthropy only wanted 800. And within that 1,100 words, we managed to say that if even one Jew of color walks into a Jewish setting and is made to feel uncomfortable, that's a problem. We gave the names of Jewish, uh, Jews of color organizations that exist out there. We praised the Miami Jewish Federation because they have a statement now on diversity and they hired a diversity person. We went through all of that. Now, in the, in the report that they liked by Professor Kelman, he, had, he didn't have 800 words. He had 16 pages and he, had, he could have done any length report and he did none of that. Nowhere did he say what we said to try to encourage the inclusion of Jews of color. Okay, so you're a numbers guy, um, and I'm gonna ask you to sort of maybe go into the territory of culture here. This didn't come out of nowhere, this controversy that you found yourself in. There's part of a larger cultural context in which, um, in which you're making a claim or you're making an argument that's viewed counter to what a, protected group is making and therefore you're harming them. And I'm wondering if you've reflected on that. I'm wondering what lessons you learned about social science and liberalism that we should think about moving forward. Well, as a university professor who teaches a statistics course and a research methods course, okay, I'm all about the truth. Our job as social scientists, particularly social scientists in the Jewish community, is to present the community with what the facts are. And, you know, if I was presenting what percentage of American Jews lit Sabbath candles and it came out with a number that people thought was too low, we would have, uh, there would have been no controversy. And, And I would add before we go any further, it's not my number. It's Pew's number. All we did is report it. We reported the six. We reported the at least 12 to 15%. And we said, it's our belief that the truth is almost certainly closer to the 6% than to 12 to 15%. Now, putting that aside for a second, in the report that the, this group of Jews of color is praising, on page about three, it says they consulted the Pew Research Study, but nowhere in the report, their report does it say, by the way, Pew says it's 6%. Right. 
But I, I want to go. That. I want to try to go back to my question. I'm not talking about okay. the study itself now. I'm talking about the fact that the discussion on social science was corrupted by a political agenda. It seems. Absolutely. Is that a larger concern that you're seeing even outside of this particular controversy? Yes, it, it is very difficult in America today to make statements about any minority group without watching every word that you say. You can be speaking the truth. You can not even be giving an opinion. But if your opinion is different from what that group believes, you're probably going to get yourself in trouble with that group. And so, yes, that I think was a big part of what happened to Arnie Dushevsky and I, hmm. was that the Jews of color group, they, they told me, you know, we, I talked on the phone with them, uh, our, actually on a Zoom call. And they said, you, basically, you've hurt our fundraising. No, we didn't set out to hurt your fundraising. We set out to simply put the facts out there. In fact, the reason we wrote the article is because we'd heard that this was a problem. And so we put an article in originally the American Jewish Yearbook, which, which was probably about twice the length of the, of the E-Jewish philanthropy piece. We put it there to call attention to the issue, not to, to try to detract from the fact that Jews of color, at least in some cases, are not being treated properly. So yeah, the, the culture that exists in this country today, uh, and it is on the college campuses too, is that it's hard to, to say things that are, are at odds with any of uh, any minority groups. So I have one last question for you. Have you talked to other people publicly? You're talking to me now, this is gonna be public. Are you, have you given other interviews? Have you talked to people since that, the controversy sort of fizzled? Um, no, but I have, where people have asked me about the controversy when I've given presentations on completely different topics and I've talked about it, but no, this is your, your podcast here will be, will be a first I, I didn't look to get interviewed on this topic. I'm more than happy to do it. But we also felt as, as a group, uh, and we have the Association for the Scientific Study of, of Jewry, we, we felt as a group that um, we ought to let this die down a little bit for a while because it was starting to affect uh, the interactions within, within the group. Although, again, I, I, I have to tell you that Almost everybody wrote to us and, you know, all of the important people in the world of Jewish social science wrote to us and said, you guys did the right thing. Did you lose any business because of it? Interesting question. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I do know of a proposal that we're waiting to hear about, which has now been approved to try to get funding. Okay. Um, somebody said, isn't he the one who was involved in the Jews of color controversy? And fortunately, the uh, person who was putting forward the proposal explained to them and everybody was just, just fine with it. Okay? Um, certainly no one said that to my face. You know, 
And look, part of the reason is, is there have been very few projects being done in the Jewish community this year because of the pandemic. Right. I'm working. But that was really, that article was really at the very beginning of the pandemic. So it, um, I can see that. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that was interesting was, and it, it shows the culture, the back to the culture question was, how could they do this now, right after the death of George Floyd? No, we wrote it three months before the death right. of George Floyd. Yes, that's right. Okay? So had we, you know, and, and I would have argued that, you know, after that, we probably would have waited, you know, some reasonable period of time just to, to let things right. calm down before. But again, we weren't expecting the uproar that right, we, I understand. you know, that we right. came up with. Now, by yeah. the way, I should tell you that our article was reviewed by three top social scientists and two Federation people before we put it in E-Jewish philanthropy. And mm. it was reviewed by Professor Kelman as well, who made some suggestions and we took some of his suggestions, but not all his suggestions. I see. So I just want to say that during that time, I called you when it was happening, after it was happening, and I apologized to you that I wasn't going to be able to say something publicly at that moment. And I felt bad. And I'm thinking to myself now, couldn't I have really said something? Because I think that more and more people have to come out and speak up for liberalism, speak up for science. Um, and um, and so I, I offer my apologies that I didn't exercise more moral courage at that moment because I think it was the, it would have been the exact right thing to do. So I, it sounds like that a lot of people called you. Um, did you ask anybody? I know I told you it was the last question, two questions ago. Did, did anybody offer to go and defend you publicly in, at that time? Or was it all in private? No, no, it was all behind the scenes, uh, including some well-placed people, by the way, in JFNA. Mm. Let me just say this, that um, that this tells you the story that you got all these people like me calling you and saying, we 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 know what you, you know, we you did the right thing. You did the right thing. But none of them really came out publicly for you. And that really set the tone for the rest of the community. So um, right now, I think it's time to reopen that a bit. I know some people will view that as um, is. Um, being unnecessarily provocative, but I think it was, to me, one of the most telling incidents um, in the last year and a half since the ideological environment became more and more stifling. And I, I thought that did not bode well and doesn't bode well for the kind of uh, culture that we want in the Jewish world. So I'm hoping that if this, if it might not happen to you again, but if it uh, if it happens to anybody else, that there'll be more and more voices who are willing to speak up publicly. So thank you for being courageous enough to come back and talk about this publicly. And I'm um, glad I talked to you before somebody else did. And uh, thank you for your analysis of the Pew study and keep up the good work. Okay, thank you, David. Okay, be well.